Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who through the grace of adoption chose us to be children of light, grant, we pray, that we may not be wrapped in the darkness of error, but always be seen to stand in the bright light of truth. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Book of Wisdom Death was not God's doing. He takes no pleasure in the extinction of the living. To be, for this he created all. The world's created things have health in them. In them no fatal poison can be found. And Hades holds no power on earth, for virtue is undying. Yet God did make man imperishable. He made him in the image of his own nature. It was the devil's envy that brought death into the world, as those who are his partners will discover. The Word of the Lord Thanks be to God. I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. I will praise you, Lord, you have rescued me, and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, you have raised my soul from the dead, restored me to life from those who sink into the grave. I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. Sing psalms to the Lord, you who love him. Give thanks to his holy name. His anger lasts but a moment. His favour through life. At night there are tears, but joy comes with dawn. I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. The Lord listened and had pity. The Lord came to my help. For me you have changed my mourning into dancing. O Lord my God. I will thank you forever. I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. A reading from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. You always have the most of everything, of faith, of eloquence, of understanding, of keenness for any cause, and the biggest share of our affection. So we expect you to put the most into this work of mercy too. Remember how generous the Lord Jesus was. He was rich, but he became poor for your sake, to make you rich out of his poverty. This does not mean that to give relief to others you ought to make things difficult for yourselves. It is a question of balancing what happens to be your surplus now against their present need. And one day they may have something to spare that will supply your own need. That is how we strike a balance. As scripture says, The man who gathered much had none too much. The man who gathered little did not go short. The word of the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia. Our Savior Jesus Christ has done away with death and brought us life through his gospel. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. 
When Jesus had crossed in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered round him, and he stayed by the lakeside. Then one of the synagogue officials came up, Jairus by name, and seeing him, fell at his feet and pleaded with him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is desperately sick. Do come and lay your hands on her to make her better and save her life. Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him. They were pressing all round him. Now there was a woman who had suffered from a hemorrhage for twelve years. After long and painful treatment under various doctors, she spent all she had without being any the better for it. In fact, she was getting worse. She'd heard about Jesus, and she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his cloak. If I can touch even his clothes, she had told herself, I shall be well again. And the source of the bleeding dried up instantly, and she felt in herself that she was cured of her complaint. Immediately aware that power had gone out of him, Jesus turned round in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see how the crowd is pressing round you, and yet you say, Who touched me? But he continued to look all round to see who had done it. Then the woman came forward, frightened and trembling because she knew what had happened to her, and she fell at his feet and told him the whole truth. My daughter, he said, your faith has restored you to health. Go in peace and be free from your complaint. While he was still speaking, some people arrived from the house of the synagogue official to say, your daughter is dead. Why put the master to any further trouble? But Jesus had overheard this remark of theirs, and he said to the official, Do not be afraid, only have faith. And he allowed no one to go with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So they came to the official's house, and Jesus noticed all the commotion, with people weeping and wailing unrestrainedly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and crying? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. So he turned them all out, and taking with him the child's father and mother and his own companions, he went into the place where the child lay. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I tell you to get up. The little girl got up at once and began to walk about, for she was twelve years old. At this they were overcome with astonishment, and he ordered them strictly, not to let anyone know about it. And he told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we have quite a long gospel today. The story of the healing of the woman with a hemorrhage is sandwiched by the story of the raising of Jairus, the um, synagogue official's daughter. Now, it's quite possible that this is just how it happened in history, that, you know, Jesus got off the boat, Jairus comes and sees him, and then, you know, the woman with the hemorrhage comes and touches his cloak. Um, but it seems that there's a deeper theological meaning that's being presented, because these two stories, they need to be taken as a whole. You know, the one kind of informs the other. So, a bit of background helps a little bit, I think. The book of Leviticus, 
you know, in the Old Testament, contains um, many customs and practices of the law of Moses. And this shaped the everyday life of Israelites. And, you know, there were strict laws concerning bodily discharges, making a person who was experiencing it um, ritually unclean. Now, I suppose with our knowledge of bacteria and infection, you know, we too treat bodily discharges pretty warily. <laughs> you know, we wear gloves, disinfectant, you know, we're sanitizing our hands until they're red raw these days. Well, the Israelite response was a kind of quarantine. So if men had oozing infections, they were unclean, and what they touched became unclean, what they sat on became unclean, and the bed that they lay in became unclean. Uh, the same was true for women in their regular cycles. Uh, and they were ritually unclean for the time of the discharge, and then seven days afterwards, and what they touched, what they sat on, the bed they lay on, all unclean. Now, knowledge of the book of Leviticus reveals to us, you know, the desperate plight of this woman who's bled for 12 years. I mean, not only is this a terrible physical complaint, but it had tremendous social and moral implications for her too. You know, here's a woman who's on the outer. Now, interestingly, the book of Leviticus also declares that contact with the dead would render all but the immediate family members of the deceased unclean. It was only the family that could prepare a body for burial, but no one else would touch the cadaver. And again, you know, I suppose we can see an early kind of hygiene sort of informing that practice. So in both these instances, Jesus is in contact with women who've been rendered unclean by their circumstances. The woman by her hemorrhage, the girl by her death. We might now appreciate the incredible boldness of the woman in reaching out to touch Jesus. For 12 years... We can imagine that she's been starved of human contact, not having reached out to touch anyone and no one reaching out to touch her. And what must have been a mixture of fear and courage, she reaches out and she touches Jesus. Now, according to the Jewish law, Jesus should now be considered ritually unclean. And so you can imagine, when he turns around and asks, who touched my clothes, her fright must have been extraordinary. But it's here that we discover the uniqueness and power of Christ. It's not he who is rendered ritually unclean by the touch of the woman. Instead, it's she who is made clean by means of the touch. And our Lord Jesus, he doesn't just restore physical health. He also restores her socially, psychologically, morally, spiritually. It's then that we hear that, you know, Jairus, having pleaded for his daughter, hears in the meantime the terrible news that she's died. Uh, the people who carry the message urge Jairus not to bother Jesus now that it's too late. And I suppose part of the reason for not bothering Jesus was that entering the room and touching the girl would now render him ritually impure, since the body could only be prepared by the immediate family. So, you know, why bother Jesus? What can he do? It must have been surprising for the onlookers that Jesus entered into the room where the body lay. And it must have been startling for the three disciples and the parents who were standing in the room when Jesus takes this girl by the hand. 
But once more we see the power of Christ's touch. It's not he who is rendered impure by the touch of the dead girl, but the girl who is rendered pure by the touch of Christ. He's the one who restores life. Now, this is an important revelation to us um, in a theological sense because it reveals to us the identity of Christ and his divinity. But I think it's also important for each of us spiritually because it reveals to whom we should turn for our healing and purification. The one to whom we turn in order to be rescued from death. The woman with the hemorrhage had experienced alienation from the community because of her sickness. And the young girl, I mean, she experienced the ultimate alienation by means of death. Jesus is the one who heals and restores. He's the one who raises to new life. He's the one who establishes communion. The key is to turn to him in faith. And we see that this is a common theme in both of the stories in the gospel today. Our Lord Jesus praises the woman with the hemorrhage for her great faith. He says, my daughter, your faith has restored you to health. Go in peace and be free from your complaint. And then when Jairus receives the news that his daughter is dead, the Lord turns to him and says, don't be afraid, only have faith. Now Jairus did indeed have faith. He knelt before Jesus and pleaded with him to come and heal his daughter. And, you know, let's face it, this is an extraordinary act for a man in his position. He's the synagogue official. He was responsible for the town synagogue and for the school which taught the scriptures. It's possible also that amongst the many controversies between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees, that, you know, Jairus probably felt pressure to reject this, you know, crazy rabbi from Nazareth. But we see the woman with the hemorrhage, Jairus himself, they both come to the Lord. The woman, she confronts the crowds in order to approach Jesus. She overcomes the hurdle of the crowd pressing round him. Jairus kneels before the Lord in humility. He overcomes any kind of pride in order to seek Jesus' help. There's a real kind of grit about these two. There's a real sort of perseverance. Both believe that Christ is able to help them in the midst of their struggles and that he's the one who's able to restore health. And indeed, their faith and hope, it's not misplaced. Christ reveals the saving power that both believed that he possessed. He raises the young girl. He heals the woman with the hemorrhage. Not because of any great extraordinary act that they have done, not because they earned it or deserved it, but just because he's Jesus. Just because he can and he loves us. You know, in commenting on this text, um, St. Jerome, uh, the great father of the church and biblical scholar, um, he puts these words on the lips of Christ. They're quite beautiful. He says, Little girl, stand up for my sake, not for your own merit, but for my grace. Therefore, get up for me. 
being healed does not depend on your own virtues. Isn't that lovely? Get up. Get up for me. Get up for me because I can help you. Christ saves us not because we deserve it or we've earned it, um, but because of the power of his love. And so, you know, he's the one to whom we turn in faith. Pope Benedict said this about uh, today's gospel. He says, these two stories of healing invite us to go beyond a purely horizontal and materialistic vision of life. We ask God to heal so many problems, our practical needs, and this is right. But what we must ask him for insistently is an ever firmer faith. So that the Lord may renew our life as well as firm trust in his love, in his providence that never abandons us. Yes, faith is what Jairus had in inviting Jesus into his home to heal his daughter. Faith is what the woman with the hemorrhage had in reaching out to touch Jesus. Faith helps us to turn to the Lord in our need. But it also helps us discover that our lives are not merely measured by our physical well-being. You know, faith helps us to entrust ourselves into God's care, even in the face of suffering and the cross. And so, you know, Pope Benedict reminds us that like Jairus and the woman with the hemorrhage, we go to the Lord in our need. But we must pray not only for our material needs, but also faith that we may know and trust in God's loving care, in his providence. You know, it's interesting when Jesus says to the little girl, Talitha Kum, little girl, you know, I tell you to get up. Um, what is used in the Greek there is the word to rise. A word for resurrection. Little girl, I tell you, arise. It shows us something of what God wills for us. And, and this is reflected beautifully in the first reading in the psalm today. Remember from the book of Wisdom, death was not God's doing. He takes no pleasure in the extinction of the living. No, what has he made us for? He's made us for life. And in the face of death, what do we see Jesus do? Little girl, arise. So beautifully in the psalm, we heard this. Oh, praise you, Lord, you have rescued me and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. Oh, Lord, you have raised my soul from the dead, restored me to life from those who sink into the grave. Jesus is showing us the one in whom we have faith. God is the one who wills for us life, the fullness of life. The last stanza of the psalm said as much. We read, The Lord listened and had pity. The Lord came to my help. For me, you have changed my mourning into dancing. O Lord my God, I will thank you forever. You know, it seems to me that pretty much all of us have got something from which we need healing. 
some good reason to reach out and touch Jesus. Well, like the woman with the hemorrhage, we can overcome whatever obstacle there is that holds Jesus at a distance from us, and we can reach out and we can touch him. And, like Jairus, we can come to him humbly, kneeling down, asking him. We can overcome the obstacle of our pride and recognize that everything we've tried has come to nothing. And so we need to reach out and to touch him. So between the two of them, Jairus, the woman with the hemorrhage, we get a great example of true faith. It's bold and it's trusting. Thanks for praying with us and may God bless you abundantly so that this day may give glory to God the Father.